seated, please. Good morning. Uh, before we pray, I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who's prayed for mom after her stroke. And uh, just give you a quick update because I know everybody's want to ask me about it after church. So I'll get, take 30 seconds. She's doing really well. She's making a lot of good progress um, in her physical therapy. She's still not home yet. And she's probably a couple weeks away from going home, but she will be moved to another facility on Wednesday uh, where she'll continue to do some more things to transition her back to home. So thank you again for her cards, visits, uh, calls, everything. She really appreciates it and wanted me to say that to everyone. So let's pray. Our God in heaven, we thank you so much for everything you've given us, all the blessings of life, the things we take for granted, all the material possessions. We thank you for our relationships with our friends and family and our Christian, Christian brothers and sisters. And we thank you for providing that for us so that we can have support during hard times and during good times as well. We thank you for your love for us, for the sacrifice that you made for us by sending Jesus to the cross. And we thank you for this time of worship where we can gather together and, and sing praises to your name and learn more about you and, and your, our relationship with you and how we can teach other people to be more like Christ and how we can be more like Christ. God, there's so many people that are hurting, that are suffering this morning. You know who they are. They're all on our, our list, and I can't go through all the names, but uh, we just ask that you, you comfort them and watch over them and watch over the people that are caring for them, the, the nurses, the doctors, and, and all those, uh, the caretakers in the homes. Just be with all of them, Father just want to thank you for uh, the progress that, that my mom has made and, and uh, so many others. We thank you for the blessings of, of physical healing. We ask that you continue to provide that to those who need it. Father, be with us during the rest of this worship and help for us to, uh, to be mindful of what we're thinking and, and, and who we're worshiping and help for our minds to be focused on you. We ask that you be with us this week and through the rest of our lives and forgive us when we sin. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've been studying from the book of Luke for quite some time about the journey that we are on with Jesus. The songs that we're singing this morning are about our sharing that journey with him. And the one we're going to sing next has two aspects to this journey. The first part of each verse in this song tells of the brokenness of the world and the sadness that we encounter, the difficulty of this journey. But then the, the chorus, the last half of each verse, is reflective of the por portion of the journey that, that is hopeful, that is, is what draws us to continue on that journey with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's sing together, beginning with the first verse of, I am a poor, wayfaring stranger.
begin focusing more particularly and especially on our communion with the Lord and partaking of the Lord's Supper. We'll sing, Jesus, keep me near the cross. <laughs> Jesus, keep me On a beautiful, peaceful day, Jesus speaks to a listening crowd. He tells them, if someone strikes you, turn your other cheek. Matthew 5. Before a chief priest and a hostile crowd in Matthew 26, Jesus is falsely accused, spit on and struck. Jesus speaks the truth. Jesus lives the truth. Jesus lives up through his actions to what he says. This morning we are here to speak. Paul says in 1 Corinthians we proclaim to one another the death of Jesus until he comes again. Sometime during this week, we will also be tested as to whether we will do the right thing, as to whether we will live up to what we say this morning, that we believe that Jesus is God that Jesus is our reconciliation with God and that we are to act as Jesus gave us an example. So through this, we are strengthened in our ability to live up to the words we say this morning. Let us give thanks for this. Father in heaven, we thank you for this bread. We reminded of Jesus' life and his sacrifice 
and his willing sacrifice for us that we we would be reconciled to you. We thank you for this bread which represents his body. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you pray with me? And most gracious Heavenly Father, we continue our thanks at this time for this cup, the fruit of the vine, which represents your Son's blood shed on Calvary, that we truly have hope of eternal life. Father, we ask these things in your loving Son's name. Amen.
Let us pray to prepare our minds to contribute to the work of the church. Our Father, we're so thankful that you have blessed us. Help us to see that all good things come from you. Father, help us to see that the work of your church never ends, that there is always much to do. Help us to see the need and help us to give joyfully. We pray that you would bless these funds that we raise today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Walking in sunlight all of my journey over the mountains through the deep vale. Jesus has said, I'll never forsake thee. Promise divine that never can fail. Heavenly sunlight, heavenly sunlight, flooding my soul with glory sermon this morning. Let's sing Ancient Words. It's in our supplement, number 25, and I'd like to invite you to stand as we sing this song, if it's convenient.
to be here. Man, it's good to be here. Good to be together with people who love God, who are loved by God, who are finding God's work in their lives. You know that I honestly do not know how people who live in the same world I live in make it through life without the comfort and the power and the love of God. How would you do that? Why would you want to? Isn't it great to be here? If you're visiting with us today, we want you to know how very welcome you are. And, you know, I, that may sound, I, I realize that my cadence as I said that. If you're visiting with us today, something I say a lot, but I mean it. And we all do from the depths of our hearts. We love that you came and worshiped with us. And if you're looking for a church home, welcome home. You are welcome here no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you believe is real and true, no matter what sin currently is operative in your life, or even whether you call it that or not, you're welcome here. And it's not because we say so. It's because God does. He wants everyone for Himself, and He invites everyone to Himself And He loves every single one of us with a passion we'll never understand. And you aren't invited to get your life good enough to come here. You're invited by a God who loves you and wants to help you live your truest and best, most holy life. So if you're looking for a place to love God and be loved by God and to love other people who are doing the same thing, welcome home. If you're not a Christian, there is no better way of life I put it against every other life, and it wins every time. It's the best story you'll ever find. It's the best person you'll ever find. And he's alive, and he loves you. So, and he's willing to help you. If you're looking, you know, if you're not a Christian, good for you. Good on you coming to a Christian worship service. That can't be real easy. We're glad you came, and we'd love to talk with you about why we follow Jesus, because we are convinced it's the very best way of life that there is. I'm preaching this morning with our PowerPoint, and I'm preaching from my dad's Bible. My dad's Bible. It's a precious thing to me, this Bible. I've actually got a few of them. Don't tell my siblings. (laughs) Because they'd love to have them too. I've got one back in my office that is absolutely falling apart. Uh, But my dad, you know, he was in computer sciences before there was such a thing as computer sciences. His doctorate was in education because there wasn't such a thing as getting a doctorate in computers when he was studying at the University of Florida. But he was really, and, and, and on the cover of that thing, it's a thing he designed. It, it looks kind of like a uh, spirograph. Have you ever seen those, you know, the spirograph? Except it was done by a computer. It's a representation of an algorithm. And in 1978, you know, it was amazing that you could get a computer to do that, you know. I can remember we, one time he took me into his, his laboratory there where they had, they had this amazing computer. It was the size of a pipe organ. And what the thing could do, all that it could do, it couldn't even do computation. It could speak, though. Amazing. It had a phonetic keyboard roughly the size of that pew. You know, not a, not a QWERTY keyboard, a phonetic one. And if you learned that keyboard, you could type into it and it would talk back to you. You know, it was amazing. Of course, you know, when, I, when my kids are growing up, they have, you know, a little speak and say thing that can do exactly that same thing. And it, you know, it will even say, Billy Bob will not say that if you type something in that Billy Bob shouldn't say. 
I wonder what my dad would think of this world. He's not in it, though. One of my strongest memories of my father, I mean, like, photograph in my mind, is this. It's how when church would pray, he always held his Bible in his hand. His calloused hands. And little four-year-old me would sit beside him and watch him. And the devotion of that man has taken root in me. He always prayed. He always held the Word of God in his hand. He doesn't have this Bible anymore. I do. He gave up ownership of this Bible in 1981 when he gave up ownership of oxygen. And that has been the big story that has shaped my life. You know, that that wherever I am, I'm I'm the the boy who lost his dad when he was just nine years old. My life entered into shadow. It actually started clouding over well before then. When I was six and my dad began to lose his his grip on his life, his illness took greater and greater position in in who he was and and his brilliance and his love of God and the wonder of who he was was falling apart and you could see it happening. Such a sad thing to see. And so who I am is so shaped by that story. You may have noticed that my prayers all end, all of them end. Come soon, Lord Jesus. I started praying that way when I was about 16. My dad had been dead for about seven years at that point. And it took me growing up to that point before I realized that, you know, life is not supposed to be like this. And I began, uh, some. I can't even remember... It was probably Jack Reese in one of his sermons that it hit me for real. When Jesus comes back, all of this sorrow ends. Man, I can't. I have lived and walked in shadow, and it has dominated so much of my life. Because that's my story. Where is it? Is that who I am? If I'm not careful, then the answer will be yes. If a person hears my preaching long enough, they'll know that the the poignancy of the breaking of the world is a big part of what I put in front of you. The reality and the truth of the fact that we walk in a broken world, we shouldn't be surprised by trouble, by problem. We shouldn't be shocked by it when things go wrong because we don't live in heaven yet. But it's so easy for me to preach that it's not really a gospel. Because it's easy for me to let that become my story. Folks, that's not my story. It's part of my story. It's the background noise that makes the the music and song of my story cause it to hush and become still. When the symphony of the true story begins to play into my life, all of this chaos and trouble becomes quiet. And the wonder of the world that I live in takes hold of me and I become a better man because of it. That's the truth of my story. Last week, I told the, the, I preached the, the sermon on the two worlds that we live in, the world of the dry lake bed, and the world of the living water. That the resurrection has made a difference in the world that we live in. But so often, I live in the world that's marked by my ownership of this Bible. And I can so easily inhabit the world because... This is just part of the bummers that I encounter. You run into them, don't you? The diagnosis that you really didn't want to hear that changes your life, maybe says your life isn't going to go on as long as you thought it was. Or the, the friend 
or the loved one whose marriage falls apart, or maybe it's yours, just goes completely sideways and you don't know how you're going to do it. The job that you lost, that you thought you thought it was going to be okay, and the pink slip is there all unexpectedly. I live in the world where I own this Bible. And it's so easy for that to be our story. And to walk in it and to live in it and to, to live walking, inhabiting this reality as though it is the truth. As though it is the real, real. That the story of the Bible is a bunch of really neat stories, but this is the world I live in, these are the things I encounter, and this is who I am. It is absolutely significant that when Jesus Christ first shows up in the Gospel of Luke, after the resurrection, it's on a journey. It's on a journey with a couple of guys who don't know the story they're living in. The funny thing is, is they absolutely do know their story. They absolutely do. They're able to recite it. In the Gospel of Luke, the very first time that the Gospel is ever announced, it isn't to a crowd of unbelievers. It isn't even by God to some disciples who need to believe it. The very first time that the Gospel is ever summarized and proclaimed, it is by a sad, morose disciple to Jesus Christ. It is summarized to God by someone who is sad as they tell the story. Because they don't know what story they're living in. They're hearing only the trouble, only the pain, only the breaking, only, by the way, you own that Bible. You'll never see Him again. He'll never tell you He's proud of you. Not once will you ever hear what you want. Not once. That's the story they live in. Folks, that story's not the real story. Let's, let's look at that story. If you've got your Bible and you want to look at it, it's not going to be projected up on the screen this morning. So if you want to open up your Bible, it's in Luke chapter 24. We're going to start in verse 13. That very day, two of them were uh, going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking to each other about all these things that had happened. You know, it's interesting that this happens on a journey. Jesus, I've already said this, but Jesus, the first time he shows up after his resurrection, he shows up to people who are walking. Remember in the Gospel of Luke, that beginning in, in chapter 9, right at the end of the chapter, and going all the way to chapter 19, 10 chapters of a 24-chapter book that's got to have stuff to get him born, and it's got to have stuff to get him resurrected. So the overwhelming majority of that book is on a journey. Discipleship is presented in the Gospel of Luke as a journey. And it's a specific journey. It's not a journey just anywhere. It's a journey to Jerusalem. It's a journey to die. You sang this morning journey songs. Did you notice that? And you were singing the discipleship call. And the call to inhabit the story of heading up. But where are they traveling? Now, I think it's worth noticing. Where are they going? Where have they been going throughout this book? They've been going to Jerusalem. Where are they going now? They're walking away. And in their minds, the story that they're telling is, well, that was a good run. I enjoyed that, but there's no need to stay there anymore. I'm to, I'm to leave it all, I guess. Because it's all a failure. They're living in the broken, failed life. They're living, believing the story that, that you can tell yourself if you really want to. That your life is a failure. Things are ruined and broken. Nothing can be okay or alright. It's always going to be a mess. You can inhabit that if you want. You can walk away from Jerusalem if that's what you want to do. That's where they're going. Disciples who have given up on the discipleship journey because of where it ended. 
and the idea that it that it has ended. Now listen to this. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now what we've got is just about like Shakespearean, or I, I guess Shakespeare came later, so Shakespeare copied Luke here. But he, he set things up so that your audience knows what they don't. They know that they're walking, I mean, he, you know, they're walking with Jesus. They don't know that. And so you get to see just how silly and ridiculous their behavior is. And not only that, Jesus is clearly messing with them. You know, I mean, he is, he is obviously kind of jerking their chain a little bit, right? He doesn't walk up to them and goes, Hey, guys. Hello. Hey, it's me. Hey, look, check it out right here. Huh? Pretty cool, huh? I'm alive. He doesn't do that. He walks up to them and instead he says, what is this conversation that you're having with each other as you walk? See, he's used to having conversations as he walks. Uh, the story of the rich man of Lazarus is probably told while walking. You know, the story, the, all these stories, the, the good Samaritan, the, the prodigal son, they're told on the journey. He's used to talking to people while he's walking, so he's like, hey, what are you talking about? You'd think they'd recognize him. But their eyes are kept. They don't see it. And so they say, and they stood still looking sad. I'm going to come back to that in just a second. And then one of them named Clopas answered, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And he is just messing with them. He is playing games almost. And once you know who he is and what he's there to do, those two lines, both, hey, what are you guys talking about? And, oh, really? What things? You know, you've you got to see him, like, on the edge of his seat, ready to spring the joke. You know, he, which is funny in the story. To be honest with you, it's not quite as funny when it happens, is it? Have you ever felt like God was just messing with you? I have. When it seemed like God ought to deliver and He doesn't. And I go to Him and I'm praying with Him and He's like, oh really? Tell me more. And you, you just get the sense and the feeling that, oh, He's there alright, but nothing's quite turning up like I want it to. And the ache of the great day is all over me and the sorrow of the ownership of the Bible won't leave me alone and I'm just sitting in it, and I'm like, where are you? And I know you could make this all go away if you wanted to. I know you could heal me. I know you could make it better. I know you could take my sorrow away, and I don't understand why you don't. When you're being messed with, you ever been there? Be really frustrated. You can even try your faith. Which is perhaps why he does it. Because the person that's being silly and ludicrous isn't Jesus. Everything he's doing makes sense. Oh yeah, tell me about it. That kind of question makes perfect sense. What doesn't make sense is they're standing there looking sad. They're part of the story that gives wonder and meaning to your life. They're hearing it. It's not being preached. They're experiencing it. They're in the middle of it. And yet, their response to it all is sorrow. Now I look at it and I, I just almost want to laugh at them until I remember my own sorrow and how easy it is to, to, to tell myself the story I live in is the story of a dead man instead of the story of a resurrected man. It is so easy to live in a broken world and it's so easy to let that be everything that I believe and just settle into that. And that the, the story about God and all that great stuff, maybe that's real someday far away. But here and now, let's all stand still and look sad. So Jesus Christ is being playful. He's inviting them. And you know, they don't get the invitation right away, but they're going to get it. And once they do... Don't you know that all of his play had to become, oh my goodness, he was joking around. 
He was messing with us. And it's going to become joy and play. They're going to reflect on it and laugh. Why were we so sad? And so then, but they aren't there yet. Which is amazing because of what they next say. So what things? Tell me about it. And this is where they announce the gospel. Things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened, and moreover, some of our women of our company amazed us. They were all at the tomb early in the morning. They did not find his body, and they came back saying that they had even seen visions of angels who said he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Can you get a better summary of the gospel than that? And that's the good news. In a single breath. And they're sad about it. You know, from heaven's perspective, what they're doing has got to look so silly. And from heaven's perspective, so much of my life, I live defeated too often. I'm a follower of the victorious God who has conquered everything, including my sin and my death. He has overwhelmed and overcome it all. And there is absolutely nothing I can face that He can't handle. Nothing. This triumph right here, the story they told is true. And if they know it's true, and yet they don't inhabit it. The Gospel calls out to us to say, you can't be defeated. That doesn't mean you can't face frustration or futility or pain or decay or even death. You absolutely can face all of that. You live in the not yet world, but you also live in the already world. The world that is marked by the resurrection of a man who promises the resurrection of all humankind. You live in that world. And so while you live with the broken story, it is the prelude to the healed story, and you live in the truth of it. You know it. It is your life. So church, let it overwhelm. Let it conquer your sorrows. Step into it with them. Let your sorrows walk with their sorrow, and let Jesus Christ bring you into a better story which is what Jesus does for them. I mean, first He calls them idiots. He says, And He said to them, O foolish men, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. And that's, isn't that what our problem is? Isn't that where our struggle is? Is God really as good as He says He was? Is God really able to do something with this mess that I am? Is God really capable of conquering the fact that I own this Bible, or is He not? Well, if He is, then I should live like He does. It should settle into my, not just my mind, but my heart. But we are slow of heart to release the sorrow. We, it, it almost feels good, at least to me sometimes, to sit there being, oh yeah, oh, I'm being very real. It's, it's right and appropriate and real for me to be sad. I ought to be depressed. Don't you see what's going on in the world? No! You live in a gospelized world. Be a gospelized person. Let the truth settle into you. Do not let the foolishness of this world own your heart. Don't do it. Because we are resurrected already and moving toward the complete resurrection. We live beyond the grave. We have overwhelmed it all because He has. And so because He has, we live in a better story. Which is what He settles them into next. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them all the Scriptures and the things concerning Himself. Don't you wish you could have been there to hear that sermon? But what Jesus did right there is He says, look, it's not a mistake. 
Look with me at, at the fall and the brokenness. You see the first 12 chapters of Genesis and what a mess it is. This is Moses. Moses told you that story. You know how bad things got. Only God could save from as bad as things are. And you know about Abraham. And how the blessing of God fell upon Abraham. And how the blessing of God was going to go to all of the nations. You know that story, right? You know that story. You know the story of how God delivered His people and rescued them from slavery. And God is a delivering and rescuing God. It's how He defines Himself. You know that story, right? So you've lived in in slavery and trouble, but you have a God who rescues and delivers. You know the story of David, right? He wanted to build the temple. And God said, no, you don't get to build the temple, but someday I will build you a house and it will be an eternal house. And even death itself will be overcome by that king who will reign forever because kings die, but this king will never leave the throne. And only a resurrected king can do that. You know Isaiah, don't you? You know that story about the suffering servant whose stripes heal the nations. You know the story. You know Malachi and you know Hosea and you know all of it. And he settles them into all of it. He says, this has always been the plan to bless all of the nations. This is no mistake. And you were not a mistake either. You live in a resurrected world. And you live in the story. Walk in it. Live in it. This morning, the Gospel calls to you to remember your story. The fact that I own this Bible tells me one story. The fact that I walk with Jesus Christ tells me a better one. Which one do you live in? If you're like me, I am walking generally in the one, trying to move to the other. I mean, I have to admit, I live with an awful lot of tears. It is so easy for me to live in the bad story. When I run into your pains and your sorrows in my job, I grieve what's happened to you. I, I hurt together with the church. And I cry out together with the church, how long, O oh Lord, faithful and true before you avenge? How long before you set things right? And I pray and I will not stop praying. Come soon, Lord Jesus. But that prayer only makes sense if the other story's true. And so, that I, so even though I walk too often in sadness, and I know that Jesus would look at me and say, oh, foolish man, my dear foolish friend Ethan, how slow you are to let it grab your heart. But I love you. Come walk with me. We've got a good journey to go on. Let's go on it together. That's who he is. And if your heart is eaten up by the lies of this world, if you sit every day in sorrow, if you let the stories that this world tells inhabit who you are, and triumph over the truth of the gospel, then hear the gospel again. Don't live in that foolishness. You have a better story to walk in. Walk with the Lord. And let Him lead you out of darkness and into His glorious light with a truth that can never be taken away of the wonder of God's great love for you. Let it settle into your bones. Let your heart believe it. Because it's true. Because it happened. Because it's still happening with you. And if you look into your life today and you say, you know what, I've got the wrong story dominating who I am. Maybe you need prayer to escape it. The hold of this dark world can be very powerful. And if sorrow has you, if brokenness has you, and it's got you in its teeth that the lion won't let go, then let the church know. We will pray for you and we will support you. We will care with you to the other side of your sorrows. Because there is another side. It may be that you came here today with a specific problem in your life. I didn't mention it, but that's okay. But you, you want the prayers of the church. The church wants to pray. This is a praying group of people. And if you need folks to pray for you this morning, let us know we want to pray. And if you're not a Christian, it's time to change your story. 
It's time to live in a better story. And Jesus Christ is calling to you to come and walk with him and walk with us as we all walk together toward a better world. If you're subject this morning to the invitation of Christ, there's room right here. Why don't you come while we stand and sing? On sorrow and night, Jesus, I come, Jesus, I come into thy freedom, gladness, and light. Jesus, I come to thee. Out of thy sickness, into thy health, out of my want, and into thy wealth. Out of my sin, and in 